Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is the Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. Tonight, we take a closer look at a unique youth sports organization called Explosion Sports West Foundation and its incredible college placement record. Joining me now, Greg Wayne. He is the head coach and founder of Explosion Sports West Foundation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Coach, let's talk about, first of all, the name of the foundation. How did you come up with this name? Uh, my dad passed away six years ago. Uh, his nickname was West. And uh, it was a way for us to keep his legacy going. He was, he was, he was actually a youth coach. Wow. So uh, that actually passed down to us as well. Um, when I say us, I'm talking about my sister and I. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your organization. What exactly do you do? So our organization bridges athletics and academics together. So the way we do that is we, we base it off the athletic piece because that's how we draw our kids in. But we surround them with all the academic components to be successful in life. Uh, we started our eight, uh, our youth uh, ACT prep program with our eighth graders on up. Uh, this year our average score for our eighth graders in the uh, practice test was a 15. Uh, we also have a reader program for fourth grade through seventh grade. Uh, and through our partnership with St. Louis Community College at Flow Valley, they provided a space and we have tutors uh, that will teach reading strategies for kids in these, in these particular programs. Very nice. And so which area of sports are we talking about? Are we just talking football or are we talking the whole gamut? Football, baseball, basketball, soccer? <laughs> right now we're in, uh, we're, we do sports performance training in our football program and then we also have a youth track program that we're developing as we speak. Awesome. So tell me about your core values and your principles that your foundation based on. Right. So our core values that we always emphasize with our kids are accountability, leadership, integrity, um, uh, integrity, and... Uh, <laughs> well, you got to have great character and, yeah, and, great character and, and, and values and that kind of thing. And I think that's important. And what you're doing and what you're instilling in these young people, especially at such an early age, yes. will continue throughout their lives. Yes. So these are like characters and traits that are going to be with them yes. forever and, and that's a good thing so tell me about the placement in college component how does that work uh, since 2016 we have 97 uh, percent of our kids go to college on scholarship uh, in that time period we, we've amassed over 8.6 million dollars in scholarship monies for our kids um, and so the way that goes is it goes through the sports piece and then we sur surround them with the academic component so that they can, they can be eligible as uh, collegiate athletes. And so tell me about some of the universities that they are attending. Yeah, we got kids at Ohio State, Iowa, Northwest Missouri State, Missouri Western, Clark Atlanta University. Uh, they're all across the country, so we're very proud of that. Those are great institutions. <laughs> yes, and, and they're doing well? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and so they're playing football? Yes, ma'am. And they're actually getting an education? Yes, that's the main component. So we also have a component uh, when, when our kids leave for college, we send them care packages as well to kind of, our goal is to make sure that they're finished and not just go to college. 
Right, and and to get that care package is to let you know that hey, we're thinking about you, we're supporting you. Yes, ma'am. I remember when I was like in college and I received those care packages. It just make your heart swell. It's like, oh wow, <laughs> this is so awesome, you know. So that's a good piece, and that's a good yes, component, I think. So tell me about some of the stories you hear from some of the, your athletes who actually go off to college and say, for example, they come home on a different break, like Thanksgiving break or Christmas breaks. What are some of the stories that they share with you? Uh, I think one of the, the the main stories that that continually comes up is some of the kids, especially our Division two kids they probably weren't scholarship kids before they started actually until they actually joined the program so they're very thankful for that uh, the skill level that they developed over the amount of time that they were with us has actually provided them an opportunity to actually go to college and get it paid for so tell me about some of the things that you guys actually underscore in the program as, as you prepare them for college I mean you talked about um, the reading programs so mm -hmm. are there other programs that they can get assistance in and tutoring if, if they need it yes ma'am we have a, uh, we have a tutoring program like I said we, we have the ACT prep program and then we have our readers program uh, majority of the kids that we service in the zip codes uh, majority of them are, are behind in reading level so that was why it was very very important for us to install our reading program so how many kids are participating in the program right now uh, we we're close to 500 right now but we're also partnered with the American Youth Football League this fall which has over 2200 student-athletes that's a lot yes ma'am yeah so when you actually look at the students to participate in the program are there any requirements that they have to meet or can just anyone come uh, pretty much anyone can come as long as you have a drive for the sport that you want to play uh, because that's kind of that's kind of what fuels the fire right and then you surround them with all the other things the community service and you know the academic components and then you start form help forming and shaping young people Right now, are you an athlete too, coach? I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I used to be. Now, what sport did you play? Did you play football? Yes, ma'am. I played at uh, Northwest Missouri State. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so tell me about your experience playing football. What kinds of skills did you learn from playing in that particular sport? Uh, you learn teamwork. You learn leadership. Uh, you learn competitiveness. Uh, I, my story is a little bit unique. My junior year, after we won the national championship, I was diagnosed with cancer. So it shifted my uh, entire outlook on what I was doing collegially. Um, and, and, and we try to enforce with our kids, this game can be taken away at any time. So that's why we really, really push our academic component. Can you talk about your cancer experience? Yes, ma'am. Uh, it, it was very difficult because I, um, I was in college. Uh, we were just coming off Christmas break. And the doctor, we were training for spring ball, the doctor was like, hey, you gotta go home. My mom was like, I got a plane for you in like five hours, so you need to fly home and grab your things. Um, I came home, took some classes at uh, Florissant Valley, and I went through chemo and radiation for like six weeks. What kind of cancer did you have? It was called a melanoma sarcoma, which was a rare form at that particular time, uh, which was probably around 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been in remission ever since. Um, but it was it was very challenging on myself and my family because we Is didn't that like know what skin to cancer. Yeah, melanoma. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from being in the sun, or did they say how? Well, it was on my inner thigh, so I don't know if it was necessarily right. sun exposure mm -hmm. uh, because I played the entire season with it, and they huh. thought it was a lymph node. Oh. Yeah, so I played. What was your reaction when they told you? I mean, I was in shock. You know, you're 19 years old, and you, it seems like you're battling for your life. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your father and how much you appreciate your dad and the, the role that he played in your life. Uh, he was a great father, you know. He uh, never missed a game, you know. And uh, he was also a coach at Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club. And all those coaching traits, you see all the relationships that he formed with families and kids. 
uh, the, one of the things he always used to tell me, he was like, I want you to be a better man than I was. And I never knew what that meant until, he, until his funeral. And all the kids that he coached were at his funeral. Even at that time, they were 20 years old, but they hadn't been with him since he was like 12 and 13 years old. So it made us very proud. Yeah, they came to pay their respects. Mm -hmm. And see, you never know how you touch people, especially yes, children. They really look up to us as adults. Yes, ma'am. You know, and like you said, how you model yourself, how you carry yourself, they watch us. Yes, They may not say anything, but they're watching. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You know, and that impact goes really deep. Yes. You know, and, and so it's great that you form those relationships because kids need that. Yes. You know, and, and so when you think about your dad, do you think that he's, he's really proud of you now? I hope so. Yeah, I try to do things the right way. Uh, right. I was grown. I was I grew up in a military family, so the structure was very important, and it's, it it follows through with everything that we do in our life. Yeah. Now tell me about your sister because she's involved in the foundation too, correct? Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. uh, she's actually a volleyball coach, and she works for Boeing. Uh, she's uh, we're very very close. Uh, she's taken over the uh, pr the executive director role of the foundation. Uh, very involved, so. What do you need? Do you need volunteers at the foundation or what do you guys need to keep it going? Uh, the main thing, we need volunteers and we need financial support as well. Um, because, you know, the, I think the major, the majority of our kids that come from their zip code, the average household income is like $40,000. So we provide a lot of scholarships for kids because we travel a lot. Uh, we've traveled 12 times this year mm. uh, and it becomes a burden on parents sometimes. Sometimes a kid can make it, sometimes he can't. Um, so, and then transportation's an issue sometimes. So, you know, it's a combination of right. everything. Now, where are the kids from? You said in a specific zip code. Which is uh, majority North County and North St. Louis. Uh, but we get kids from all over the St. Louis metropolitan area. But that's where probably 80% of our kids come from. Right. So tell me about your gala because I, that's a big event that's coming up, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, we're having our first gala this year as a, uh, as a fundraising uh, thing for our foundation. Uh, it'll be July 20th. Um, we're pretty, Where's it going to be? Uh, at Norwood's Country Club. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so what can people expect? Uh, I think you can expect uh, music, food, and a good time. <laughs> a lot of socializing. Uh, my nephew will actually be DJ. He's a 13-year-old DJ uh, that's uh, entrepreneur. So we're pretty excited about that. But uh, it's going to be a great time. Nice. Coach, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it, and thank you for the work you're doing in the community. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate your time. I think your dad your would be proud. Thank, thank you. you. All right. All right, straight ahead on the Pulse of St. Louis, working to save lives. See how a local organization is helping people struggling with opioid addiction. Stay with us. Back in a moment. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for the Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. You know, the opioid crisis is taking a toll on the Gateway City region. Many organizations are working unrelentingly to help save lives. And joining me now, Robert Riley. He is co-founder of the Missouri Network for Opiate Reform and Recovery. Aaron Laxton, he is director of Street Outreach. And Carl is also here with us. Hey, Carl, how are you? He's a participant yeah. in the program. Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate it. Robert, let's start with you. Tell me, how bad is the opioid crisis in the St. Louis region? Well, um, when we talk about opiates, you know, right now our drug supply in the St. Louis region is really poisoned. Um, we have long-term heroin users that can't even find heroin anymore. So we just have a much deadlier substance out there right now, and that's what the problem is. That's why even all the efforts with the harm reduction services getting Narcan out there more into the hands of the users and the families. Um, we're not seeing the drops like we should. It's because the substance has become more lethal. 
So, um, talk about how bad, I mean, it's been bad for years. You know, I've been losing friends and people that we've helped for years. So, uh, you know, it just, we, we've made progresses in some areas, but as we've made progresses, we've also had the setbacks. Like I said, from the switch to the heroin to the fentanyl, which is primarily what we see. Yeah, Aaron, tell me, what do you see on the streets? Because you're a social worker and you're out and about in the community, right? Yeah, so, you know, to Robert's point, you, you can't really throw a rock in the St. Louis supply without hitting fentanyl. And fentanyl has really become a buzzword. Car fentanyl, sometimes th that gets thrown around. But what's problematic is you might t have someone who uses and they've used regularly, um, they become incarcerated. We know that's the highest risk of overdose is when they come back home, uh, so maybe out of the jail system. And they might use what they traditionally have used. Uh, uh, and one syringe, two syringe, whatever. That's what really gets them because it's a, it's a more potent supply. And, you know, drug dealers are not known for having consistency. Um, and, and so really part of the messaging that we get out to the street um, is never use alone, always have Narcan with you, um, test your shots. These harm reduction techniques that have really been used across the country and we're really trying to couple them with services um, that uh, University of Missouri and St. Louis and the SOR grant, a lot of energy and, and resources are being uh, allocated towards this, this pandemic, if you will. So you brought in Norcan with you. Do you actually take that out into the streets, Aaron? We do, we do. And right now out of our office, out of the, the Narcan that we've distributed, the Missouri network, uh, we have about 1,200 lives saved as a result of that. Um, from the data we've captured, there's about 2,200 lives. That's 2,200 lives that are still in the St. Louis economy. Children have their parents, uh, so forth and so on. But it's really about, you know, we believe that, that people who are deceased, they don't have the chance at recovery. They don't have the chance of having a better life. And that's, it's really about the human connection. We want to make sure these are not statistics. These are people. These are our neighbors and fellow Missourians. Yeah. Carl, you participate in the program. Tell me your story. I personally, I personally used Narcan before on a friend of mine, and uh, it's been used on me. I'm a user myself, and Narcan saved my life. What do you use? Uh, primarily fentanyl. Um, started off heroin, but now mainly it's fentanyl. It's the only thing that's going around on the streets right now. Are you sober now? I'm not sober now, no. But you're working towards sobriety. I'm always working towards sobriety. I'm trying to find help, but... Um, there's not a lot of it out there. I mean, there's, there's programs where you can go and um, do a detox, but when you get out of detox, it's right there in your face again, and a lot of times it's easy to use again. Has that been your experience? That's been my experience, yeah. Yeah. So, Robert, fill me in then. How do we help people like Carl? Well, that's, that's been our thing that we've been talking about here recently is moving the needle of entry to care. We always thought it was the traditional when they hit rock bottom. Unfortunately, with the lethal substances out there on the market, rock bottom's death. I'm not willing to wait till then. So let's move the needle of entry point to care from when they hit rock bottom or they're ready to enter traditional treatment services to it can be somebody coming in somebody like Carl coming in and say, hey, I want to make sure that I have Narcan on me in case something happens to my friend, right? I need some information on how I can be safer when I use. I know it's not safe for me to be 
using other people's needles, to be using water out of the back of a toilet of a vacant building. How can you guys help teach me how to use SAFER, right? Um, so those are the things that we're really working on is moving that, that entry point to care back to somebody like Carl coming in where the world has been treating the using community like they're pariah, right? They're known as thieves and liars and blah, blah, blah. And we're saying, no, these are human beings. They're just suffering a medical condition. And although the symptoms are really ugly, um, they're still human beings. And let's try to help them from there to there. We've had a ton of success. Aaron said like 40, I think it's 44 or 40%, 46% of the reported reversals um, for the whole state of Missouri, the Narcan came from O Network. And that was supplied to us by the um, Department of Mental Health under the SOR grant. Like those are things that, that are making a difference. And I know the first time around I said it's so scary because of the fentanyl, it is. People aren't getting a second shot at this. We have people that have been using 30 plus years and they've never seen something like this because you don't know what you're getting, right? The, pro the, the, the bigger problem that I really want to educate people on is, um, you know, it's not a really a sterile environment at the drug dealer's house when they're weighing all their substances up. And the problem is they're gonna weigh up some fentanyl and then maybe they need to weigh up some cocaine and then maybe they need to weigh up some meth. We're getting a lot of cross-contamination. And so people that aren't even necessarily looking to use opioids, uh, but are trying to use cocaine or, or another stimulant, they're actually being poisoned because of the cross-contamination. Those are public health warnings that we should be telling people, listen, be careful, right? Like you should be testing that or you should be, you know, really being careful with your drug use. Carl, are you finding that, that cross-contamination? Yeah, I have noticed cross-contamination. Con um, I know friends that use meth have uh, gone through the same withdrawals as people that use fentanyl. So I know people that use meth are now experiencing the same withdrawals as people that use fentanyl. So there's definitely cross-contamination there, definitely. Is it scary for you? It's very that? scary, yeah. Tell me about your day. What is your day-to-day -day like? Um, my day-to-day -day is mainly um, trying to make money so I can support my habit without doing anything illegal. Do you want to be sober? I do want to be sober, and uh, I'm looking into some programs now where I can get into a detox. So, Aaron, does your organization offer that kind of support? So, when a person comes to Missouri Network, we're going to provide a linkage, and we do have partnerships in the community, uh, and we have some... Uh, programming that's going to be opening up in the next 60 to 90 days that will will hopefully allow for even more access. You know, I, I just want to say I appreciate Carl so much. You know, it, it takes a lot to to make yourself vulnerable and, and to share, you know, people have this notion about uh, substance users, that they're lazy and they're, they're this and that. Let me tell you, the hustle that a person has to have from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, it's always with the goal of not being sick. Um, so we provide linkages to, to organizations, and so we try to get out there and find out which uh, detoxes have beds open, which residential facilities have bed open. We have a great relationship with ARCA uh, that allows us to do a direct referral. You know, Robert and Chad 
had for a long time said, hey, we need to reduce the amount of time when, when a person says, I want to go to treatment, we need to reduce that to almost nothing. Because when that person said, yes, I want to go, that's the moment. So let's strike while the iron's hot. And um, through our street outreach, in the last several weeks, I've had four people that are housing unsecure. We've been able to get to treatment and now have access to sober living uh, and to transitional living. So what are we doing to help Carl? Because Carl just said, yes, I want to be sober. Yeah, so some of the challenges that we have with Carl, uh, and I think what he's speaking to, is the, the detox process, right? So depending on, you know, not all the detox spots are, are available. Unfortunately, if I'm referring out to a detox spot, uh, we have to abide by what their intake process is. And so that may be only once or twice a week. Um, so if, if you're hustling and you're trying to work a job and you're trying to not be sick, that's really hard to say, well, I can only go between these hours and these hours. I think that's why Moan Network's been so successful is we work very non-traditional hours. Uh, we understand that addiction isn't a nine to five job. It's, it's a day in to day out. Um, and so Carl's frustration is a frustration we hear. And it's also a frustration that although we're changing, it's changing but not changed. Uh, and so, you know, when I invited Carl, he's going to give you a real snapshot of what it's like right now. Um, and, and so to Carl, uh, and Carl knows this, I've been working with Carl for a bit, is we're going to keep working, we're going to keep trying to get him access. Until we can get him that access, we're going to make sure that he has the tool that can help keep him alive. Robert, it sounds like there is a huge challenge finding enough facilities available right now. It's been a, it's been a challenge for years. When, when Chad and I started doing this, before there was even a Mo network, we just started, well, we started handing out naloxone before it was even legal, and then we were able to successfully advocate for the passage of it. But, you know, there was a, you, you, you call one of the state-funded facilities, and they'd say there's a five-month wait. Well, Carl, that window of opportunity when their willingness, right, when they're motivated, actually motivated to do something is very small. They, they don't have five, they, they don't, they're living day to day. They don't know if they have five hours left, right? And so through some federal grants, through uh, what was the STR and now the SOR, we've been able to shrink that window down, um, but we still have uh, a shortage of beds. You know, um, we're, we're, I'm involved in a project right now to open a, a brand new treatment facility out in Dittmer called Sauna Lake Recovery Center. We're looking to open here in the next 60 days. And, um, and we're gonna dedicate a portion of our beds as um, to scholarships, to bring people in that couldn't otherwise come into treatment because of either the lack of the resources for state funding or the lack of the resources for private insurance and things like that. It, it, it's, it's an ongoing problem, um, you know. There's just so many fronts. I, I, I don't even know how to explain it. There's so many fronts to hit this on. We need smarter public health policies. We need um, greater access to getting Narcan out into the using community. Uh, you know, we have a, a, a Aaron is, uh, heads our street outreach, and so we bought a, uh, an ambulance a few months ago, and Aaron drives the ambulance around. Wow. Um, and we have Mo Network on the side of it, and um, we pass out Narcan 
and, and, and Aaron's been really successful going into these encampments and you know it's a transient community. And I'm sure that's that's hard work. So I want to talk a little bit more about that when we yeah. come back. I got to take a break. So stay with us. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with Aaron about his role in all of this. Stay with us back in a moment. Welcome back. Before we went to break, we were talking with Aaron about what you do when you go into the community. Just give me a snapshot real quickly of what your role is in the community. We're going into the highly dense area where housing unsecure folks are giving them the resources. Um, so whether it's downtown, we've listened to law enforcement. You know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Law enforcement saying, hey, we, we're tired of locking people up. So that's really where we come into play is, is making sure those folks that are wanting to access treatments, we want to get it to them. We want them to get the tools to keep people alive. Narcan works if people have it, and the numbers show that. Yeah, Carl, tell me about your hopes and dreams. Well, I want to make sure people know that Narcan saves lives, and because of harm reduction, a lot of lives are being saved, a lot of people are not getting sick because they're not using dirty needles, and harm reduction is really making a big difference. Well, thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the work that you're doing. And thank you for joining us this week for the Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember, for News 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 apps. I will see you next time.